This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. In the U.S., like here, the Zoomer demographic is a key to electoral victory. We'll talk about how older voters are influencing the upcoming presidential election. And an exit interview with former Ontario Premier Kathleen Wynne. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. That's Donald Trump and Joe Biden at the first debate talking over each other. An American study finds election campaigns are linked to heart attacks and strokes. In fact, after the 2016 presidential election, Hospitalizations for stroke and heart attack almost doubled in the two days after the vote. Study author David Williams, professor of public health at Harvard University, says it's a wake-up call showing that stress linked to political campaigns, rhetoric, and election outcomes can directly harm our health. Close to 3,000 retirees rallied in Belarus for the third straight week to demand the resignation of President Alexander Lukashenko. They marched through the streets of Minsk, chanting for the president to go away after the August election widely seen as rigged. One carried a sign saying, how many grandmas should it take to oust one grandpa, referring to the 66-year-old president who's run the country for over two decades. Tens of thousands have regularly been protesting, demanding that he step down. Turns out getting a good night's sleep before getting your flu shot will increase its effectiveness. Insufficient sleep in the week before getting a flu shot can lead to less than 50% of the normal antibody response that would render the flu shot largely ineffective. This from a new study in the International Journal of Behavioral Medicine, which suggests that sleep on nights prior to vaccination could be critical for vaccine efficacy. And health experts say this could be a game changer once a COVID-19 vaccine becomes available. Singer Christopher Cross is detailing his harrowing experience with COVID-19 that left him temporarily paralyzed. The 69-year-old Brock Crooner says it was touch and go for a while, calling the experience the worst days of his life. Cross contracted COVID-19 during a trip to Mexico City in April and ended up in intensive care for 10 days. The singer was diagnosed with Guillain-Barre syndrome, a condition that causes your body to attack your nerves that doctors believe was caused by the coronavirus. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. 
Zoomers are a demographic that is key to success at the polls in America, as well as in other countries, including ours. Even though younger generations have surpassed baby boomers in sheer numbers, an overwhelming proportion of the older generation votes. In 2016, they were regarded as the most pro-Trump demographic, and they were instrumental to his victory. Where do they stand now? I checked in with Dr. Charles Zeldin, a political science expert from Nova Southeastern University in Florida. The older voters tend to show up and vote. Those who are 65 and above, they've been voting for years and they'll show up for every election. And down here in Florida, we've had people, you know, 103 who have come and voted early because it's that important to them to vote. Millennials tend to vote below 50%. Boomers tend to vote well above 50%. Last time, the senior vote uh, went to Donald Trump for the most part, right? Yeah, he, he won the senior voters by over 10 percentage points. Clinton was short by about 10 to 15% of the, of the senior vote, and that made a big difference in, in Trump's victory. And what has changed? One big thing that's changed is a lot of voters got to know Donald Trump. A lot of them decided they don't like what he's been doing, especially now with COVID-19. And this is especially important among senior voters because they are the ones who are most at risk of dying of, of the coronavirus. What we're hearing here in Florida and nationally is that there are a lot of senior voters who are saying, he's just not taking this seriously, and this is very serious to me. I'm not going to vote for him. Joe Biden also isn't Hillary Clinton. There was a lot of people who just didn't like Hillary Clinton. She had been in in politics too long and too controversial. Why Biden has been in politics since the, the, the 70s, he's never been particularly controversial. And so I think what's happening is a lot of a lot of senior voters are looking at Biden saying, hey, he's one of us. He's not controversial. He wants to take care of the coronavirus. I'm going to vote for him. Biden, in a lot of his campaigning, is telling seniors that Trump sees them as expendable, that the only senior he cares about is himself. So that seem, does that seem to be resonating? The big thing about Trump and, and the coronavirus is that he hasn't acted on a national scale to deal with the problem. Uh, he's, he's, he's left it to individual states to respond. Uh, in some cases, he's gotten in the way. And the current response now uh, from the federal government seems to be just go with herd immunity. The problem with that is the ones who are likely to die in the process are seniors, and they don't particularly like that. So when Biden says the only senior he cares about is himself, it rings true to most senior voters. How are senior voters responding? He had the coronavirus and he's talking about how vital and strong and super he feels and it's no big deal. How are those people reacting to that? There are some who react to it positively, but most are saying, yeah, he got a helicopter ride from his home to the hospital. He had a dozen doctors watching him. They gave him every one of the experimental drugs that they're using now, and he got all of them. No wonder he got well. 
Meanwhile, I can't get tested for coronavirus because I'm not, quote-unquote, sick enough. And so there's a lot of seniors who are resentful. Not, not that the president got that treatment. I mean, he's the president. But that he's bragging about it and saying, of course, this is no problem, when in fact, for many of us, it is a problem. It's hard to get tested. It's hard to get in the hospital when you're sick. When you get into the hospital, they, 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 they don't immediately give you the cocktail of, of, of remedies that the president was given. It's left for the people who are really, really, really sick. And as a result, there's, I don't know if the resentment's the right word, but they, they don't respond well to the president's bragging. Still, though, when you see some of his rallies with seniors, there is, it seems to be close. Is that correct? Lots of seniors are still going to vote for Trump. Many of them are Republicans. Many of them have, have uh, like what Trump has done on issues like taxes and the economy. Many of them buy into the culture war issues that, that Trump you know, is, is peddling uh, as, his, as his campaign. So what we're talking about here is not, well, all the seniors go for Biden. What we're talking about is the, the mid-20 to 25 percent of seniors who are not committed to one party or the other, do or die. And that's where the shift is happening, those in the middle. Where can this turn the tide? I know the, the seniors can be the pivotal vote in Florida. Where else? A lot of the, the Rust Belt states. Uh, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, these are states with, uh, where, where the, the population skews a little older than in other states. Given how narrow Trump's victory was in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, and uh, how, uh, you know, losing even a, a sliver of, of his vote, of the elderly vote, could be the difference between him winning and losing in those states. Do you think that uh, the fact that it's a pandemic and that seniors are the vulnerable group, do you think that will make their voting diminish? No, at least here in Florida, in the first few days of early voting, we're seeing a lot of seniors show up and they're waiting in line for a couple hours to vote because they want to make sure their vote gets counted. Ultimately, the seniors are finding ways to vote and uh, as traditionally they do. We're waiting with bated breath. Professor Charles Zeldin, thank you so much. My pleasure. Anytime. That was Dr. Charles Zeldin from Nova Southeastern University. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, as former Premier Kathleen Wynne prepares to leave politics, she's calling on more women to get in. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. She was Ontario's first female and openly gay premier. Kathleen Wynne led the Liberal Party to regain a majority in 2014, only to suffer a crushing defeat in 2018. We talked about her career after she announced she won't be running again in 2022. What most people would say is that uh, you've stuck around a lot longer than anyone would have expected you to. How come you did that? That has been said to me. 
I was elected in 2018 or reelected in 2018 in a sweep that went against us. And so I felt very strongly that my constituency, my constituents had reelected me, that I had a, a responsibility to them and that I wanted to work out my mandate. And so that's what I've done. And it took me a while to make the decision about whether I would run again. But I think this is the right time. It's time to let younger people come in and uh, take the torch, you know? What was it like? I mean, you suffered a really big defeat and you went from being the premier to being a sitting MP uh, to a, a small rump of a party. What was that like? I won't pretend that it was easy to go uh, from the, the position of premier to an opposition, you know, backbencher. But the, the core of the work, which is trying to meet people's needs in the constituency, has been um, very similar to uh, what it was when I was first elected. When you became premier, you were a real trailblazer, first female premier, first openly gay premier. What are your feelings about that? Was that an extra kind of heavy burden? Actually, no, it, it made the position and the role that much more of a privilege, actually. You know, I would go to hundreds of events in a year and there would always be people who would come up to me and say, you know, I'm so glad you're there. My daughter sees you there. It's important to her. Or my son is gay and, he, you know, it really changes it for him uh, to have you there. It changes the expectations that he can uh, he can have about his life. So made it clear to me how important it is that young people particularly can see themselves reflected in leaders. You're now calling on more women to run. I've always been a proponent of women getting involved in politics. It's been a it's been a male bastion for many, many years. That is changing slowly. But when I was elected by the party, when I was chosen by the party to be the leader in 2013 and then became the premier, um, there were six female premiers in Canada. So almost half of uh, the premiers were women. And now there's one. And in between that time, there have been none at some point. So it's really disturbing to me that we that we don't have more of a pipeline of people who uh, might be interested in and have the experience to uh, to take on those leadership roles. So I feel that part of my job now is to share my experience, to talk to young women about why it's worth it, uh, because it's, I think sometimes it can look like it's not worth the pain, you know? with social media and the, the criticism and negativity that comes at you as a, as a politician and as a leader, it can make it look uh, pretty intimidating and pretty difficult. But I want to make sure that young people know that despite all of that, it is totally worth doing because you can change people's lives and you do change people's lives. The kind of abuse, sometimes to the point of violence, that women suffer, I mean, what do you make of that? I think social media has exacerbated that. Um, there were death threats against me. We just didn't talk about them publicly. I was going to ask. A number of times. There were people who came and camped in front of my house. And, you know, I, I remember going out on a run one morning and there was a big burly guy standing there who was harassing me. So that all happened. It's not okay, Libby. Those things are not okay. But there are protections built around us as politicians. I will continue to maintain that despite all of that, it is, it is worth 
taking the plunge. And you need to have a team of people around you. You can't do it alone, but it is, it is well worth taking the plunge. You talk about doing the things that you're passionate about and changing people's lives, but often what happens is that uh, when the electorate decides to repudiate you and brings in the opposite, you know, your work does get undone. That's true of some things and not of others. So, you know, the fact is I worked uh, as the premier to advance, enhance uh, retirement security. And I actually worked with some of the um, seniors organizations in the in the province, including CARP. Yeah, we worked with CARP. Yeah. And I, I mean, we worked together to push first Stephen Harper, who wasn't interested in doing it, and then to uh, push Justin Trudeau by by establishing our own or working to establish our own pension plan here. And we got we got an improved Canada pension plan. That's not going to go away. That is going to be uh, a legacy of our government. Those are life-changing things. The Premier got up and uh, gave a lovely tribute to you the other day. Uh, were you surprised by that? And uh, is there anything about him and his government that surprises you? I still have a lot of differences with Premier Ford. And I think that there are big mistakes that have been made in the reaction to the pandemic. I think that the investment in our education system has not been adequate. And I think there's some ideological things that are going on that are really a problem. So uh, yes, it was a gracious moment and I thanked him for it, but we still have major differences. You're 67, which I guess is an age a lot of people retire at, but you are extremely fit. You are used to being in the thick of things. And uh, from what I understand, uh, you're going to move to a smaller town and and retire. Yeah, I I have moved to um, uh, a smaller town. I've moved out of the city to live in a, a sort of joint living arrangement with my daughter and her partner and closer to my grandchildren. But that doesn't mean I'm retiring. I mean, I'm still coming into the city three times a week. Um, I'm working from home and I, I truly believe, and especially now that we're dealing with this pandemic and, and so much online interaction, um, I really believe that I can be, I can be involved in a way that can be helpful, even, even at a distance. That's certainly my intention, Libby. Thank you and all the very best to you. Thank you so much. Take care. That was former Ontario Premier Kathleen Wynne. That brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Huddy, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.